in this prayer service. Let us turn to our Bibles to Matthew chapter 26 and read the verses 36 to 46. Matthew chapter 26, the verses 36 to 46. where we find the Lord Jesus and his disciples in Gethsemane. Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very heavy, Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here, and watch with me. And he went a little further, and fell on his face, and prayed, saying, O my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh unto the disciples, and findeth them asleep, And saith unto Peter, What? Could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, O my father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then cometh he to his disciples and saith unto them, Sleep on now and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that doth betray me. We will look at much of this passage, but I want to direct your attention especially to the words in verse 39. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me, nevertheless not as I will, but as thou wilt. Dear congregation, what do we want to receive from the Lord and what do we want removed by the Lord? It's prayer day. We've come together to pray for the upcoming season when the farmer will plant the seed and lots of work will be done at home, on the farm, in our businesses and in our work. And we come together to confess that we can't do without the Lord. We need him in our work and we need his help and we need his blessing. What do we want to receive this season? And what do we want the Lord to remove this season? What do we want him to give us and what do we want to take away? Plus, the table of the Lord will be spread in our midst this coming Lord's Day, and we are in a week of preparation for the Lord's Supper, and we need encouragement 
And we want to do that by looking at and listening to the Lord Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and so be taken to the school of prayer, hearing from the chief um, high priest, Jesus Christ, the great intercessor. What does he want to receive? And what does he want removed? Well, let's listen to him as he prays, O oh, my Father, take this cup away. That's what you can write over the sermon. Oh, my Father, take this cup away. And we'll see three things. First of all, the sorrow he feels. Secondly, the call he issues. And thirdly, the prayer he makes. Oh, my Father, take this cup away. First of all, the sorrow he feels. Secondly, the call he issues. And thirdly, the prayer he makes. The Lord Jesus, dear congregation, has left the upper room in Jerusalem together with his 11 disciples. It won't be long before he is arrested, and the disciples all will be scattered. Do you see them go? They're walking through the silent streets. They leave the city of Jerusalem behind. They cross the brook Kidron to go to the Garden of Gethsemane on the slope of the Mount of Olives. Yeah, there were olive trees there. Boys and girls, you know you can eat olives. They are green, purple, or a black fruit that you can buy at the store. Sometimes olives are put in a salad or on pizza. You can also press olives, and that makes olive oil. Well, it's to this garden in Gethsemane that the Lord Jesus often came away from the hustle and bustle of the city to be alone with his disciples and to be with his Father, and this time to prepare for his suffering and dying. At the entrance of the garden, he leaves eight of his disciples behind. He tells them that he's going up ahead to pray, and he takes with him Peter, James, and John, the inner three. They were witnesses of his exaltation on the Mount of Transfiguration. They are also to be witnesses of his humiliation at the Garden of Gethsemane. They saw his glory on the mountain. They must also see his agony in the garden. And as they go further into the garden, deep anguish suddenly and sorrow overwhelms the Lord Jesus. How different this experience was for him from other times. I mean, before they had been in the upper room, singing and praising God together. On other occasions, he had enjoyed communion with his Father and sweet peace, but now he's deeply troubled and distressed. Mark, in his gospel account, says he became greatly amazed and sore troubled. Mark there uses a very strong word. He becomes suddenly alarmed, uh, horrified. It's the same word that will be used later to describe the women when they come to the empty tomb. And they're shocked and they're upset and they're filled with unrest. Why is this tomb open? And where is his body? Well, that's how it is with the Lord Jesus. He too is troubled now. 
in a great way, distressed, even overwhelmed, with an agonizing sorrow and, and the words he uses as this is described for us paint a picture as if he's suffocating, that he's deeply sorrowing, as if he's in water being pulled down and being pulled away by the undertow. He's flooded with sadness. He's drowning in grief and anguish to the point of great sorrow. And he says, and then I imagine with a trembling voice, my soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. After all, Judas has left him and will betray him. The other 11 will desert him. Peter will deny him. Satan will tempt him. He will experience injustice. He'll be spat upon. He'll be hit, mocked, cursed by the people. He'll bear the sin of his people. He'll be forsaken by his father. He'll bear the wrath of his father for their sin. Yet the whole burden of sin and the whole burden of God's wrath will be laid on him and it troubles him here greatly. And friends, if it troubles him, should not sin trouble us? Sin is no little thing. A so-called little sin is no little thing. I mean, look at how it distresses him, how it shocks him. He who did no sin, look at how it horrifies him and, and upsets him. Should it not horrify us and should it not trouble us? Our sin, sin caused him such anguish and the wrath of God for sin caused him deep sorrow. Yes, should we not, considering our own sins, humble ourselves on account of our sins and the curse that is deserved for our sins? That first of all, the sorrow he feels. Secondly, the call he issues the call he issues. Yes, he's taken the group of three disciples with him. He's become greatly distressed, uh, full of unrest, horrified, and shocked. And he issues a call to those three disciples in verse 38. Dare ye hear and watch with me. And then he goes and prays and then he returns to find them sleeping and issues another call. Verse 41, that's clear and more specific than the earlier call. Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. Yeah, he issues a twofold call to them. First of all, watch. Secondly, pray. He calls them to the grace of watchfulness and the grace of prayerfulness. He's call, calling them to be watching and praying. After all, he's greatly troubled because of what awaits him. And he wants these three disciples with him to watch and to pray. 
Yeah, he wants them with him. After all, that's the reason actually Mark gives in the opening chapters when he has called his disciples unto himself, he had called them to be with him. And here too, even though he asked to tread the winepress alone, he wants his disciples with him to watch and pray. Yeah, first of all, to watch. It's a word that has to do with staying awake and being alert. Yes, he wants them to stay awake with him. And you can understand that, can't you, boys and girls? When you're afraid. I remember when I was a child of about eight years old, being on vacation at a friend's house and sleeping in the basement. And in the middle of the night, there was a bad thunderstorm. And I was very afraid. And I wanted these friends who were sleeping in the basement there, I wanted them to wake up. And I wanted them to stay awake because I was afraid. It would have meant a lot to me if they were awake with me in my fear. But they were not afraid like I was and they just fell back to sleep. Watchful means to be awake but also to be alert and then being alert for danger. And then not just the danger of the Roman guards that will come soon, but a spiritual danger. Yes, it's possible to be awake, but not alert. It's possible to be awake, but careless and carousing and drinking and occupied with all the demands and cares of this life, occupied with the cares and the surfeiting of this world, Jesus says in Luke 21, verse 31 to 35. Therefore, he issues this instruction to be alert to the risks and the dangers that come at us, uh, to be alert to the blessings and safety that we need too. Don't we need to be watchful, friends? Yes, we too, 2,000 years later, awake and alert to the dangers. Is it not a real danger when we become spiritually drowsy and sleepy, like hopeful in Pilgrim's Progress, as he together with Christian come to the, engrant, at the enchanted grounds and hopeful doesn't remember the dangers the shepherds had warned them against and he wants to just sleep. And Christian says we can't and Christian does all he can to stir him up, to keep him awake, to make him alert. Some of you know the great danger of falling asleep at the wheel. I read a story about a minister who together with his son would sometimes travel 200 miles to a church in Texas. The son would drive while his father would look over his notes on that long trip. He would read his Bible, he would pray, he would meditate, sometimes he would take a nap. And one day, as the son was driving his father, um, his father was resting. He had taken a nap and then he and his father woke up at the same time in the ditch. The son had fallen asleep at the wheel. 
Thankfully, nobody was hurt. But it's a great danger to fall asleep at the wheel. And are there not many who, who, are, who have fallen asleep at the wheel, spiritually speaking? They're not wakeful. They're not watchful. They're sleepy when they should be watching. And, and Jesus has instructions for his disciples. This is the command, actually, he's issued several times in the previous two chapters, Matthew 24, Matthew 25, as he's speaking about the end times. What does he call his disciples to? Watch and pray. He repeats it. Lest ye enter into temptation. Yes, we need to guard our hearts and lives so that we keep close to Christ and his word. Yes, there's a description for you of the grace of spiritual watchfulness to guard our hearts and lives so that we keep close to Christ and his word. After all, we are vulnerable to temptation. It only takes a spark and the flame of temptation turns into sin. Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. Friends, are we sensitive to the dangers that we face? Are we alert to the temptations that come our way? And friends, if we're going through this world, and maybe I can address the young people too in a special way, if we're going through this world and thinking that we're basically safe and there really is no danger, then you're not on your guard. And it may be that you're sound asleep in a spiritual death sleep. And if you've become indifferent to the word of Jesus, dear people of God among us, and if you've become indifferent or more careless to the fellowship with Jesus, then you're also in danger and you're not on your guard. Watch and pray. Are you drifting asleep? Are you drifting towards the ditch? Watch and pray, Jesus adds. Yes, lest ye enter into temptation, we should not only be on guard against temptation and we should not only avoid temptation and stay away from temptation, we should pray that we not enter into temptation. We're to seek grace so that we don't enter into the path of temptation and go in at the door of temptation. It's, it's, there's a call also to pray. And this is something that we should be praying about for ourselves. Pray yourselves. That's the idea in the Greek. We, we should not be content that others are praying for us. Oh, we thought and meditated on the prayers of Christ for his people this past Sunday. But Jesus who prays for his disciples also says, pray for yourselves. Oh, we're thankful that parents pray for us, teachers pray for us, friends pray for us, pastors, elders, deacons pray for us, but we need to pray also for ourselves. And you need to pray about your own personal sins. And you need to pray about your own personal temptations. And you need to keep 
praying about it. Keep being on your guard. It doesn't take much and we trip and fall. I mean, Peter, he's made his resolves. He was prepared to go into death with Jesus, but when he was tempted, he fell so easily. And Jesus is warning him in verse 40. What? Yeah, he specifies Peter, but he addresses all of them. Could you not watch with me one hour? Could you not be awake with me one hour? Peter, James, John, you're fishermen. You've been awake all night. Why can't you watch and pray with me one hour, Peter, especially you? I'm asking you. You're the most outspoken one of the disciples. You said even if everyone else will forsake the Lord, I won't. I'm prepared to die with him. Peter, I'm not asking you to die with me. Just to watch and pray. To watch with me and pray for me. And did Peter registered the complaint of Jesus. It seems like it barely registered because he goes back to sleep, but later don't you think it would register? And don't you think it would cut to the heart thinking of what Jesus had said? But friends, what about us? Are we being watchful and prayerful? Are we on the alert? Or have we become drowsy? Or do we need to hear the call of the gospel for the first time? Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. Or maybe we need to hear it again. Do we pray against temptation? Or do we maybe love the temptation that comes our way? Do we love the sin that we're tempted with? And then Jesus is teaching us that sometimes, oh, he who says in Psalm 127, he giveth his beloved sleep. It's a great gift that we shouldn't take for granted, but he who says what he says in Psalm 127 is saying here that there are times to stay awake and to lose sleep, to watch and pray for ourselves and for others. And you see why I called it the grace of watchfulness? Because it's something that we need to ask him for and the grace of prayerfulness and he can teach us how to be watchful. He can teach us how to be prayerful and should we not seek that grace with him? He who delights to give this grace. Yes, should we not seek this grace also as we anticipate another working season, a planting season, a communion season, and be honest now. Lord, I need to awake to righteousness. Well, the sorrow he feels, the call he issues, and thirdly, the prayer he makes. The Lord Jesus not only calls his disciples to pray, but he does it himself. He has done it so often in his earthly ministry, seeking his Father early in prayer, communing with his Father in prayer. 
He, yes, would wake up early in the morning to seek his father. He would take time to pray and hear too. But why does he pray? I mean, we pray as sinful, needy people, weak and frail. We can tell him that we can't do anything without him. We, we need him. But why does the Lord Jesus pray? I mean, he's the creator of the universe. He's the Son of God. All things were made by him, John 1 verse 3. And without him was not anything made that was made. Right, boys and girls, he multiplied loaves and fishes. He walked on the water. He made the blind to see. He turned water into wine. He raised the dead. He's true God. Why does he need to pray? Well, because he's also true man. Exactly. That's why he would arise before the day to seek his father and ask for help and strength and for the spirit. But, but do you see the application? Do you see the lesson that we can draw? If the Son of God needed to pray, how much more do we not need to pray? If he needed to take time to pray, how much more do we not need to take time to pray? Especially in difficult providences, especially in testing times when we find ourselves suffering, uh, afflicted, tried. But what shall we pray for? And, and how should we pray? Well, let's listen to what he prays for and how he prays. And listen to what he prays for, verse 26. Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me, nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he speaks of a cup. Oh, boys and girls, you know where to find that in your kitchen. That cup, the small round container that you use for drinking. And most often we like what we drink out of our cup. You go to the tap, you get some water into that drinking cup, or you go to the fridge and you get some juice to put into your cup, or your dad and mom, they go to the coffee pot and have a coffee cup. Tastes good. It's refreshing. You like it. But there are also contents put into a cup that make us shrink back from it. And boys and girls, do you like medicine in one of those small cups? Do you like to swallow medicine that tastes awful? Well, the Bible speaks of cups too. It speaks of a cup of blessing and the cup of joy. David in Psalm 23 speaks of such a cup that runneth over. But the Bible also speaks of a cup of distress and a cup of anguish and a cup of suffering like Psalm 11 verse 6 where David sees what's right and good being destroyed and wickedness seems to triumph all around him. But David says in Psalm 11 verse 6, upon the wicked he shall rain snares, fire and brimstone and a horrible tempest. This shall be the portion of their cup. 
That's what the wicked will have to drink, he's saying. The wrath of God. That's what we deserve to drink. The cup of the anger of God. That's the cup that the Father shows to his Son. And he shows it to you and me. A cup of anguish and wrath. You were hoping in this year to have a cup of juice, a cup of water, a cup of coffee. But the Father comes by this evening with another cup, and he says, this prayer day, you need to see that this is the cup that you ought to drink from. The cup of the anger of God. Yeah, that's what he shows to Jesus. That's what he shows to you and me, the cup of anguish and wrath. And that's what we deserve to drink. And that to all eternity. And Jesus sees this cup and shrinks back from it. He recoils from it in a holy way. He says, Father, if it be possible, let this cup be removed from me. Let it be taken from me. Father, if it be possible, take it back. He's overwhelmed at the sight of this cup. He's, he's deeply troubled. Yes, he, he shrinks back. Sometimes, People think that believers always willingly surrender to the way they have to go. Sometimes people think that believers always willingly uh, yield to whatever trials come their way. That believers embrace the difficulties and hardships unhesitatingly, but that's not true. Christ shrinks back. Paul later would ask the Lord to remove the thorn from his flesh. Sometimes the believer asks the Lord to change his circumstances. Lord, I, I don't know how I can handle this. I don't know if I can endure this. This loss or this cross is too much for me. Lord, is there no way to take this pain and trial away from me? Is there a way I can get out of this, Lord? God's answer may be no. He said no to Jesus. He said no to Paul. But we may ask him in faith, as Jesus does, as Paul did. Yes, as Jesus does, seeing this cup that he has to drink for his people, is there no way, Father, that this cup can be removed from me? Is there no other way that I can go? Father, am I to suffer on the cross? Is there no other way, Father, where for me to go to glorify thee and to save thy people is Golgotha, is the cross of Golgotha the only way for me? Is there no other way? Can't it be different? That's what he prayed for. Now, how did he pray for this? How does Jesus pray? Let me say six things. For one thing, he prayed privately. He prayed privately. He prayed alone. 
Verse 39, he went a little further. Luke in his gospel account will say he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, maybe 130, 140 feet. He goes a little further to pray alone. Do you pray alone? Do you have private prayer? Oh, prayer as family and as husbands and wives and uh, together with friends is special. But we also need to pray by ourselves. William Longstaff put it this way in the 1880s, take time to be holy. The world rushes on. Spend much time in secret with Jesus alone. And Charles Spurgeon, he says in a sermon on this text, especially in temptation, be much in private prayer. He says private prayer is the key to open heaven and it's the key to shut the gates of hell. We need time to pray alone. Jesus prayed privately. Secondly, he prayed humbly. He prayed humbly. Mark says in his gospel account, he kneeled down. Matthew says he fell on his face and prayed. Yeah, he goes down on his knees. He falls down. And if the Son of God, the King of kings, goes on his knees before God, how much more should we not humble ourselves before God? Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. We have so much reason to humble ourselves before him, don't we? Jesus was without sin, but we have sin. Do we at times go on our knees, fall on our faces? Spurgeon says, we won't prevail with God unless we abase ourselves before him. He prays privately, he prays humbly. Thirdly, he prays intimately. He prays intimately. Hear him pray, oh my father. Mark records that he uses the Hebrew word Abba. Father. He addresses his father in, in the most tender way. He loves his father. He reverences his father. He's not bitter towards his father. He believes his father is good. And isn't this what his people also ought to do? Calling him our father. Spurgeon says this is a stronghold in the day of trouble. Turning in your need to the father and pleading your adoption. I know we don't deserve it. You, you, the Holy Spirit has been showing that you also to you in this week of preparation. We're sinners. But we can go to him with the prodigal, saying, Father, I have sinned. Fourthly, he prays perseveringly. 
He prays perseveringly. He didn't just pray once, but three times. He brings his prayers to his Father. How often don't we just pray once for something and then give up? Colossians 4 verse 2 says, continue in prayer. Don't don't be weary in prayer. Keep at it. The Father doesn't always answer immediately, and we don't always understand why the Father doesn't answer us immediately and why he doesn't answer us sometimes at all. He has his reasons for delay, but we ought always to pray and not to faint. Fifthly, he prays earnestly. He prays earnestly. There's this intensity in his prayer. Maybe we don't see that clearly here, but Luke records that in chapter 22, verse 44, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, it says. Or Hebrews 5, verse 7, referring to Christ, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplication, with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death. He's praying with intensity, with urgency, uh, with heart and mind. We can sometimes miss this urgency, this intensity in our prayers. Our prayers can grow cold. Our hearts can feel distant. But there was no coldness in the prayers of Christ, no indifference in the prayers of Christ, no distractedness in the prayers of Christ. He prayed earnestly. Yes, he prayed privately, prayed humbly, prayed intimately, prayed perseveringly, he prayed earnestly, and lastly, he prayed submissively. He prayed submissively, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Yes, yes, he shrinks back in a holy way. He recoils from the cup in a sinless way, but he is willing to surrender to his Father, willing to submit to his Father, willing to yield himself entirely to the will of his Father, Let it be as God wills it, and it will be for our best. That's what he teaches us to pray. That's how he teaches us to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. Yes, it's our prayer day. And there are several petitions from the Lord's Prayer that come to mind in light of what Jesus prayed in Gethsemane. Ah, It's true, all of the petitions from the Lord's Prayer come to mind, but there are three petitions particularly that come to mind on this prayer day. The one petition that comes to mind in light of Gethsemane is, give us this day our daily bread. Lord, give us the food convenient for our bodies and our souls. Give us the food we need physically and spiritually. Lord, keep back the cup of bitterness and the cup of wrath. 
keep back, I should say, the bread of bitterness and the cup of wrath and give us the cup of blessing and the bread of life. A second petition in this season of planting an industry in our home life and school life, and it's more important than we realize it, is lead us not into temptation. Watch and pray. Yes, we're to be watchful and prayerful and seek this grace of watchfulness against temptation and prayerfulness for communion with the Lord. But then also this petition, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let us learn to leave all things in the Father's hands. He knows what to give us in this season. He knows when to give it. He knows how to give it. He knows what to remove when to remove and how to remove it. And when we have our questions, he does all things well. Therefore, trust his will. Thy will be done. And isn't that how we must learn to pray? Our Father, which art in heaven, But one question yet, could the Father not have delivered Jesus from the coming suffering? I realize it's a hypothetical question, but it is a question. The Father could. Jesus would say in verse 53 that he could pray to his Father and the Father would give him more than 12 legions of angels. But you see, if the Father saved his Son from the cross, then the Father could not save us from hell. If the Father had not given his Son the cup of wrath, he could not have given us the cup of blessing. So Jesus surrenders to the will of his Father. He submits. And that while his disciples failed him, and while we fail him, sometimes like the disciples, we hardly breathe out one prayer in our need. We're sleepy. We're slothful. We're sliding. But while they are sleeping, he is suffering. While they're not praying, he is praying but he doesn't turn away from them. With all the disappointment that he feels that his disciples have disappointed him, he comes to them 
and says in verse 46, Rise, let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that doth betray me. And then I see him taking determined steps, not hesitating steps, but determined steps and their sorrow, but also joy. Now we don't see it here, but Hebrews 12 verse two says it, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. What joy, the joy of going back to his father and being with his father and bringing his prayerless people to heaven to be with him and to praise him. He's willing to take their hell in order to give them heaven so that he could sing. Around me shall the righteous throng and crown with joy thy saints shall be. Their hearts made glad because the Lord in richest grace hath dealt with me. Amen.